Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians 1 is where we're at. We're going to be in verses 13 through uh, 19, I believe, in the first chapter. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be, this is a great word, preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Father, we need your help this morning. We ask you to open our minds to see the glory of Jesus. We ask you to open our hearts that Christ might be first in our affections, that he might be preeminent in our desires, that he might be first in our love and on our priorities and on our pursuits. Father, we ask that you would lead us through this passage, opening up window after window, that we might look longingly at our Savior. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things you find people doing, Christian people that is, is talking about putting Jesus first. Have you ever talked about that, putting Jesus first? In fact, I'm in a bunch of Bible studies with guys, and what I find is sometimes we'll We'll read a passage of scripture, and uh, we usually discuss it, talk about the points, talk about the truths, talk about what's going on, and then we always get to the point where we're like, okay, how do we obey this? How do we live this out in practical ways? And sometimes during the, the, the harder passages that aren't, you know, real clear, you know, we'll, we'll end up saying things like, well, we need to put Jesus first, you know? And, and one of the reasons is that's always right, all right? I mean, that, that's always the right answer, right? And so we, we say that a lot. Um, and it's scriptural. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so a lot of times we, we talk that way. We talk about priorities. How many of you have talked about priorities? And you kind of, all right, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put family second and church third and work fourth. And you, you know how I feel about that. I think that's a bad way to think of it. I think we shouldn't compartmentalize God in, in those ways. God is actually in all of those, okay? We should, he should be first in all of those. But anyway, we talk about putting him first in that way. Well, here's the reality of the book of Colossians, okay? So Colossians does something really important for us here, okay? Here, here's what it tells us. He... No matter what you do, he's already first, okay? So, so whether you make him first or not, he's already first. Whether you make him your top priority, he's already first. Whether you honor him as such, whether you love him as first, he's already first. Whether he's preeminent in your hearts or your affections or your obedience actually does not matter from the standpoint. It matters to you, but it doesn't matter from the standpoint of the universe because he's already what Paul says in verse 18 preeminent. That's a cool word. I don't know if we use that word very much. Probably not. But it's a word that means to hold the highest rank. It's a word that means to be superior, to be first, okay? And so in in verse uh, 18 there, it says, and he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, okay? Everything means everything. That in everything he might be 
preeminent. In other words, Paul says, God has already made him first, all right? There's not a debate. There's no election going on for that, by the way, you know? There's not, people aren't getting to vote. Jesus is the preeminent Son of God reigning in the spiritual universe, okay? Paul, Paul's going to talk a lot about this, this heavenly universe and this kind of earthly world. He's going to talk about that a lot in Colossians. In fact, one of my favorite verses comes in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, to set your mind on things above, not things on the earth, where Christ is seated and your life's in him. And so he's going to talk that way. In fact, he kind of does that in verse 13. Okay, in verse 13 he says, he has delivered, he's talking about believers here, who've turned away from their sins, put their faith in Jesus, repented, they're born again, they're connected to Christ. And he said, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. When you were born again, you had an address change, okay? Right then, not just when you die and go to heaven. Actually, that, that's not when it happens. When it happens is when you're joined to Jesus Christ, you're actually transferred into the kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom of God is the rule of God over the hearts of men. It is Jesus' reign, which right now is spiritual and will soon coming be a physical kingdom reign over the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul says, you're already there if you're a believer. Okay, and so he says, you've been transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son. And then he takes about seven verses. They're some of the most fantastic in the Bible, describing the greatness of Jesus Christ, describing the character, the person of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do for a few minutes here is we are going to, I hate to say it this way, we're going to force ourselves to set our minds on Jesus. Now, I say it that way because I don't think it comes natural for us. You know what comes very natural for us? To think about yourself, right? Do you ever have to work to do that? No, you do not, right? I mean, man, you're a pro at that. Like, you score really high, right? We, we, we know how to think about ourselves. We know how to think about our own characteristics. We know how to think about how great we are. We know how to think about all the good things we do. We know how to think about what we deserve. We know how, we know how to think about ourselves. We're pros at that. Thinking about Jesus, we're not very good at that. I, I, would, I would make the case to you that I think that's at the heart of our brokenness. Like, like you know, something's in you is not right, right? It, it got cracked, right? It's broken. It's called your sin nature. And, and at the heart of your sin nature is not just that you break God's commands. At the heart of your sin nature is that you don't want what you ought to want. You don't love what you ought to love. You don't value what you ought to value. You don't treasure what you ought to treasure. We, we, we're broken in that way, right? We're like the toddler. Any of you ever had the experience with a toddler? Christmas time, and you get them this great toy. You know, spend 50, 60 bucks, like way more. You only do that if you're a grandma, okay? But anyway, you spend way more than you ought to on a toddler, and it's like the latest, greatest thing, supposed to make them a genius and go go to Harvard and, you know, change the world. And so you buy them that thing, and you open it up at Christmas time, and they are so excited to play with the box, that's right, yeah, with the box. That's, yeah, you see where I'm going there, right? And we're the same way. Like we got the glorious Son of God spread out before us here in the book of Colossians, and it's going to be really hard for us not to think about ourselves because we're broken in that way. So let's try. Ready? Let's give our attention. Let's give our effort. You got one last, last hour sleep, but you're in the last service, okay? So you ought to do better than the other two, okay? Because what, what you, you got an hour more than they did, all right? So let, let's work hard to set our minds on Jesus for a little bit, and then we're going to come back and make some real practical applications, okay? So we're talking to talk about Jesus. We're talking about how, who are we talking about first? Well, we're talking about the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the New Testament, the one who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem who grew to manhood without sin, 
who began his public ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We're talking about the Jesus who preached like nobody has ever preached before. We're talking about the Jesus who healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and made the lame to walk. And we're talking about the Jesus who walked on water and commanded the clouds and the thunder and the lightning to obey his word. We're talking about the Jesus who had a complete authority over the demonic realm. We're talking about the Jesus who raised the dead by the power of his word. We're talking about the Jesus who ate with and laughed with and cared for his disciples for three years. We're talking about the Jesus who fed 5,000 men and their families with a couple biscuits and a few fish sticks. We're talking about the Jesus Christ who was tried by the Jews and crucified by the Romans and on the third day rose from the dead and ascended into the heaven. What does Paul say about the character, the makeup of this Jesus? Now, it's really important that we get this right. There are a lot of things in life you can get wrong and amazingly, it's fine, right? It's fine. Um, I live with some folks who, even though I've tried to train them from their youth, and even though we put lots of time and effort in it, they still do not know north, south, east, and west. I won't tell you which one that is. They happen to be in the room. But you know what's amazing? What's amazing is, it's okay. You know? Like, like when I think about it, I think about, man, I'd just curl up in a fetal position and be lost. Like I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know how to get out of the room, you know? But you're, really, you don't have to know that. You can travel around the world and not know that. It's fine. But if you're wrong about Jesus, you're in trouble. Every cult, every heresy, every, every demonic lie that's in our town all begins with the diminishing of the character of Jesus, okay? So there's some things you can get wrong, and it's fine. This is not one of them, okay? You, we got to get this right, and so let's work hard at getting it right. Okay, so verse 15, who is this Jesus? Number one, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does that mean? That means when you're seeing Jesus, you are seeing the fullness of God the Father, all right? So you're seeing God. You're, you're seeing God in all of his character and nature and beauty and holiness. John 14, 9, Jesus himself said, anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. That's what he said. Okay? So, so Jesus possesses all the characteristics of God in perfect form. Okay? Jesus is the perfect image of God incarnate. In Hebrews chapter 1, which is a very similar passage to Colossians 1, but in Hebrews chapter 1, he, it says this about Jesus. He is the radiance. This is verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Okay? He's the radiance of the glory of God. He radiates the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. In John chapter 1, great passage, another great passage. Um, John describes Jesus as the Word. Okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Why does he describe me as the Word? You know what words do? Words communicate things, right? Like if I want you to know me, I'm going to use words. I'm going to tell you things. You're going to tell me, right? Your sweetheart may have leaned over to you just a little bit ago and said, I'm hungry, right? What were they doing? They were using their words to tell you something about them, about what's happening inside of them, right? right? Or I'm tired, or I'm sleepy, right? We use words in that way. Why is Jesus called the Word? Because he is the communication of God. God wants you to know him. So what did he do? He sent his son Jesus, the, the Trinitarian God, 
out of the heavens into human flesh and he lived the perfect life and we've recorded in the gospels his life and his works and his ministry so that you might know God. Jesus is the manifestation of God. Next. Now we've got to be careful here. This next phrase we're going to spend a little more time on. I've got to go through these quickly, but I'm going to spend a little more time on this one. Here's why. Most every cult in America uses this verse, along with a couple in, in other places, to diminish the character of Jesus and go a different direction. Okay? So we're going to get this right. Okay? So it says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, now let me tell you about some of the cults in America. Some of the cults in America are going to take that verse, along with a couple others in the Bible, and they're going to say, see, Jesus is not really God. He's close. Man, he, he is really close. He's right there, but he's not, he's not, he's not God. Because they're, they're, they're saying the word firstborn means that he did not exist. There was a time when he did not exist, and he was born. He was created first. Okay, they're, they're using it in a chronological way. Now, the pitch that I'm going to make to you, and, and you could use the word that way. The Bible mostly does not, okay? So, so think about how the Bible uses the word firstborn. The Bible uses the word firstborn as the inheritor, right? The one who inherits, right? So you got Jacob and Esau. Who was born first? Well, Esau was. Who ended up being the firstborn inheritor? Jacob did, right? Even though chronologically, he was not born first. Here, here, here's, here's a deal, Settler, right here. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 talks about David, okay? So in Psalm 89, verse 20, uh, it says, I have found David, my servant, with my whole... With, I have, found David, my servant, with my holy oil, and have anointed him. And then it goes on to describe David and his life. And then it says in verse 27, and I will make him the firstborn. And I will make him the firstborn. Some of you got some, some Bible trivia knowledge. Was David the firstborn son of his family, his dad Jesse? He was not. Where was he at? He was way down at the bottom, wasn't he, right? In fact, they even forgot about him. You know, like, you got all your sons here? One, two, three, four, three, four. Yeah, yeah, we got them all. We got them all, you know? And, and, and they had to go through them all. Hey, do you have any more? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The one out with the sheep, right? He was not even close to the firstborn. Well, you say, well, maybe he was the firstborn king. Well, no, actually, he wasn't. Saul was the first king of Israel, right? And so what's it talking about there? Well, it actually explains it to us in verse... Um, 27 okay ready i will make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth okay so how how does the bible use the term firstborn the highest right the the ranking supreme one which is the case that paul is making here right that's paul's point with this whole paragraph is that jesus christ is preeminent and in all things he might have the preeminence and so the way that firstborn is used here is as the heir of all things the inheritor of all things the one who is the highest of all the kings the one who is the best the 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 most now I'm going to linger here because I, I want to make sure some of you are not like, well, but could they be right? No, they're not. Okay, ready? For, for any, Gospel of John. Gospel of John 1. Okay, Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, in the beginning was the Word. What is that telling us? That is telling us that in the beginning, the beginning of time, eternity past, Jesus is there, right? Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? And the Word was God, all right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, just in case we're still not convinced, he says it again. Okay, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All right, two times there, in two verses, he tells us Jesus was in the beginning, in the beginning with God. He was with God. He was God. He is fully God. Verse 3, all things were made 
Through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He's the beginning, okay? Now, let's go back to Colossians. So Colossians tells us he's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. All right, verse 15, what is that? 16. 16, for by him all things were created. Okay, by him all things were created. So Jesus is not only in the beginning, eternity past. He is God. He's with God. He is God. Okay, but he is the means by which everything that exists was created. Okay, so when it says everything, it really means everything. So every molecule, every atomic particle, every distant star in remote galaxy, every mountain, river, butterfly, prairie, wetlands, beach, whale, canyon, penguin, iceberg, every king, every embryo, every president, every nursing infant, military general, kindergartner, scientist, statesman, every kid on every soccer team, every construction worker, taxi cab driver, every teenager, every father, mother, child, family to ever live or who is living or will live is created through Jesus Christ, okay? Everything that exists is what Paul is saying. Everything exists. If we go to Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, um, uh, verse 2, but in his last days he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, okay? Everything that's created. Hebrews says it. Colossians says it. John said it. Everything that's made is made through Jesus Christ. He is the creator. Well, what about all those demons and angels? Not them, right? No, them in particular, okay? Verse 16 says, For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He's talking about the spiritual realm. He goes on and says, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Okay, is he talking about like the presidents of this world? He is not talking about that. How do I know that? Because Paul wrote Colossians. Paul also wrote Ephesians. If you'll turn in your Bibles a couple pages backwards, right? Right after Philippians or go, go toward the beginning, but through Philippians. And then Ephesians 6 says this about the spiritual realm. He says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. See, same, same language. Rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Same phraseology. What's he talking about? He's saying Jesus has created everything that is visible in this physical world. He has created everything in the spiritual world. Every angel that exists, every demon that exists was spoken into existence by Jesus. Now the demons were not Jesus, were not, were not demons when Jesus spoke them into existence. They were angels led later in a rebellion by Satan in which they fell and became demons. All right. Now the important point to remember here, and I think what Paul is getting at is that Jesus has no rivals okay a lot of people's theology almost looks at kind of Jesus and he's fighting hard for us and everything and the devil's battling him and we're not sure who's gonna win who's gonna win who's got no we're sure who's gonna win you know why we're sure who's gonna win because everything that might oppose Jesus he spoke into existence okay the devil in all of his evil power Jesus spoke him into existence. That's how he came into existence. Not only is it how he came into existence, but it's how he stays in existence. Okay, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But before we get there, we've got something else to cover, okay? Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible or visible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him. And then this little sweet phrase at the end of verse 16, and for him. I'm telling you, this, this one phrase will change your life. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, now that means that everything that exists, all those things that I just mentioned, they exist. Why? Well, see, you know what I'm tempted to think? I'm tempted to think in my own kind of fleshly. For me, right? Like, like they're all for me. Like the world is for me and time is for me and it, it's, it's, it's all for me. 
And, and you know what that leads me to do? If I think that, you know how I know that I think that sometimes? You ever get a sense of entitlement? You ever get a sense of, do you ever say this? I deserve, you ever say that? Well, see, when you say that, you, there's a tell there. You, you know, what, you know what, what's happening? In your theology, you are saying, this is for me. I deserve it. It's mine. I, I deserve to be treated a certain way. I deserve certain luxuries. I deserve a particular level of living and for things to go a certain way. And when they don't go that way, I feel cheated. You ever feel cheated? Like, like I, this shouldn't be. Somebody owes me. God's let me down. I hear people talking about that all the time. God's let me down. Why was he let you down? Well, the only way that's possible is if there's certain things are for you. But they're not. Oh, this is bad news. You're wishing you wouldn't have come, have you? You know, you thought it was stuff was for you. It's, it's actually not for you. It's for Jesus, right? Let's say you go to your own birthday party. You go to your own birthday party, throw a big party for you. Everybody's singing, slapping you on the back, shaking your hands. How old are you? Ribbing you about how old you are. You know, you blow out the candles. You know, they're cutting the cake. And you're visiting with an old buddy. And you turn around and everybody's gone through the line. And all the cake's gone. What do you do? Well, you're, you're an adult, so... You're like, that's okay, I wasn't hungry. But then after everybody leaves, what do you say? It was my birthday and I didn't get any cake, right? Okay, so if, if you're living that way here, like you're thinking, see, it, it, it betrays something, right? If it's your birthday, you're thinking, I'm the center. I'm the preeminent one. I was first. I'm the reason for this thing being here. That's why I should have got some cake. You know what? Uh, all the time I hear these famous people on, on the news, it's their birthday. You ever do that? Like on the radio, they'll, it's so-and-so's birthday today. It's, you know, Taylor Swift's birthday. It's, you know, Queen of England's birthday or whatever. I never get any cake for those people. Like, they, never once do I get cake. You know why? Well, it's not my birthday. It's theirs, and I, I'm like, you know, I'm not an important person in their life. So which is your theology? Do, do you feel like things are for you or are they for Jesus? So once we get that straight, okay, now let's keep going. All right, so, so uh, where are we at here? Verse 17, and he is before all things. Okay, Paul's telling us the same thing over and over again, right? He is before all, he's first, he is preeminent. Keep going here. And in him, all things hold together. Wow, not only is Jesus the creator of all things, he is also the sustainer. In him, all things, what? They hold together, okay? Have you noticed that our world holds together? Have you noticed that, that, that this, this rock keeps going around, right? Right, it keeps spinning, 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 right? It keeps going around. Gravitation, the, the, the rotation of the planets, all of that keeps going. Who's holding that together? I heard a theory one time. I was uh, reading this back in college, and it's kind of this uh, theory that God is an absent God. Like God started the thing a long time ago. Here's the illustration they use. It's like a clock, you know, like God's wound up the clock, you know, and now he's just let it go, and he went somewhere. I don't know where where'd he go, you know, I don't know. Bermuda maybe, someplace nice, I don't know, but he went somewhere else, and, and, and now the thing's just running, but he's not really active. No, no, Colossians says he is holding all things together. He created all things, and he's not only created them, but he's holding them all together. Hebrews says the same thing again. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact temperament of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That means that not only did God, did Jesus create Satan, but Jesus sustains his existence. That's going to bother some of you. I realize that. It bothers me sometimes. Like, why didn't he just 
You know, let that dude go, right? You know, let him blow apart. I, and that, that's, that's a question for a different sermon. But, but here's the reality. Jesus is holding all things together. I thought about copying this, uh, this paragraph out of this book I read this week. Uh, it was real scientific. But I thought, you know, it will make them think that I know about science and I'm real smart and I'm not. So I decided not to be disingenuous. But basically what it was saying was there are things about the atom that nobody knows. Like, like we can't figure out how it actually holds together. Like, like there's parts of that that we're not sure why it stays together. There's part of, a part of our cellular makeup that's the same way. You, you know what ultimately holds all those things together? It's Jesus. That's what he's saying. Jesus sustains the world. It makes me, it makes me wonder. I'm just guessing. But in 2 Peter, it says that the way the world's going to end is that the, the, the heavens and the earth are going to be dissolved with intense heat. What if Jesus lets go of all those atoms? We, we, we saw what happens when an atom is split, right? What if Jesus lets go? I don't know. I mean, it's just conjecture. I'm just speculating. But, you know, it, it's interesting to think that Jesus is right now holding us together. He's holding our lives together. He's holding, we're, he's giving us breath. We, we exist because he said it was okay to exist. He brought us into the world and he is presently sustaining us in the world. All right, Paul goes even further. He's kind of covered the physical realm. Now he goes to the spiritual realm, okay? Verse 17, he is, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, Okay, not only does he does he sustain and create everything in the physical world, but also now in the spiritual world, he is the head of the church. Now, what does that mean? He's the head of the church. If you're a born again believer, here's what has happened. Okay, you at some point in your life, you saw the glory of Christ. You saw the glory of God. You believed his word. You believed his truth. You believed what he did for you on the cross. He's your only hope. You turned away from your sin and you put your faith in him. When that happened, you were joined to the resurrection life of Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the head. He's the head. It's, 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 it's the picture of a body, right? So, so I've got my body. If I cut off a finger, that would really hurt. But I'd still be alive, right? I might faint, pass out, you know, I don't know. But I'd still be alive, right? Lose a toe. I'm still going, right? I'm still going. I could even lose an arm, I mean, right? I mean, that's still going, right? I could, I could have a gallbladder out. Many of you don't have yours anymore, right? You're still fine. You're going to eat Mexican food for dinner. You're okay, you know, you, losing a penny, right? Lose your head. You're, oh, no, you're not fine, right? Severed from the head, you have no life, okay? That's kind of the picture of the church. The church is a gathering of believers all across this world who are vitally connected to Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is what holds the church together. Without Jesus, we don't, we're, we're not alive. We're not alive forevermore. We are plugged into Jesus, who is our head, who guides the church, who directs the church, who is the church. That's why when Saul was going on the Damascus Road to persecute Christians, and, and Jesus appears to him in a blinding light, he falls off his, his, his donkey, and, and, and then those words come to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me, meaning Jesus. See, the church is the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. Keep going. Okay, verse 18. He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, okay? The firstborn from the dead. Now, again, if we use that word firstborn just as chrono chronologically, it'd be wrong, wouldn't it? Is Jesus the first one to ever rise from the dead? Well, no. He rose Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead, you know, before he died. The widow of Nain's son, he rose from the dead. You know, there are others in the Old Testament. So, so no, that's not what it's saying chronologically. It is saying that Jesus is the trailblazer. He is the resurrection in the sense that Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And now he's bringing everybody else who believes in him with him. Why is it that we don't have to fear death? Because Jesus already died in our place. 
and he's raised from the dead. And now I'm connected to him. My great aunt Beverly passed away this last week. I did her funeral on Wednesday. That's one of the things I talked about. Man, this, this deal was settled a long time ago. In her life anyway. When she was born again, she's connected to Jesus Christ. Well, that can't ever be severed. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. End of verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now go to verse 19. Verse 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Some of you may have grown up with a little poor theology about God. And you thought of God as the really strong one. Like, you know, God's a tough one. He's a strong one. And Jesus, he's really cool too, but he's not quite as strong and as, you know, as, as big and powerful. No, 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 no. That's wrong. Verse 19, in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What does that mean? That means that all the, the characteristics of God, the full measure of glory, the full measure of power, the full measure of wisdom and love and mercy and grace and sovereignty and eternality and justice and holiness and beauty, it's all packed into Jesus. This is one of the reasons that what a lot of the cults believe can't be true. It can't be true that Jesus is a created being because that just said all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Well, if he's not eternal, then not all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus because God is eternal, right? You see that? It's all packed into Jesus. All the fullness of God. Now, what's going on here? How'd you do, by the way? How'd you do staying with me? Did you find yourself drifting back to, oh, I got a good shirt on. It's got a little stain now. I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch. Man, we're so like that. I mean, I, I mean, I'm laughing about it, but aren't we like that? We've got the most beautiful thing in all the universe in front of us, and we're thinking about, I think my hair is not as good today as it was yesterday. Mine actually never changes. It's not enough. Yet. But anyway, some of you might think that. What's going on here? Okay. Let's get practical. Here's what's going on. God's about one thing. He's about glorifying Jesus Christ. That's the agenda. That's the plan. What, what, let's read our, our verse again. In uh, verse 18, he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. What's God doing? He's glorifying the Son. He's making Jesus supreme. He's making him Lord. He's making him king. He's got a clear agenda, okay? And by the way, you're not going to convince God of another agenda. You're not going to sway him to do something else in the universe. What God is doing in the universe, what he's doing in the world, he's got a clear agenda. He is exalting Jesus Christ. And he is fiercely passionate about that one mission. The God who holds your next breath in his hands is determined to glorify his son, Jesus Christ, to make him preeminent. And he will move heaven and earth to the exaltation of Jesus. He will play the nation to the world like chess pieces in order to bring about the victorious exaltation of Christ. He will pour out his wrath. The earth will be dissolved. The heavens will melt away. The powerful men of this world, Revelation tells us, will hide under rocks, begging them to fall and crush them, that Jesus Christ might be exalted. That's what's happening. That's the plan. Let me prove it to you. 
turn back a page in their Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So what's going to happen? So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want a picture of that? We actually get a snapshot of that in Revelation this, this is how it's going to happen. Okay, You're going to be a part of this someday. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. No matter if you're a believer or not, you're going to be in this group. Notice, verse 6. And between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That's Jesus. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from his right hand. So the lamb, Jesus, takes the scroll from God the Father, who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every, every people and every nation. And you've made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then you come into it. Okay, verse 12, or uh, what is that? Verse uh, 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That is where everything is going. That is what God is doing. That's why everything exists is for the preeminence of Jesus Christ. God is committed to this and pity the man or the woman or the teenager who gets in the way of that. Here's where the rubber meets the road. If you do not live and act and think and sing and worship in a way that is in line with Jesus being preeminent, first, supreme, then, three things. Number one, you're playing make-believe. You're just pretending that a reality exists that doesn't exist. You ever, you ever go to a Woodward Boomer football game? You got Boomers playing Clinton out there on the field. It's exciting action. Got the commentators, got the radio, got the cameras, coaches, cheerleaders. Have you ever went over to the north of the stadium in that kind of bare spot over there? You know what's happening over there? A bunch of little guys. And they're convinced that's the game right there, right? You see, if, if you're not about this, so what I'm telling you is this is the only thing to be about. And if you're about something else, it, it's just pretend. And oh, how guilty can we be of that? There is no reality in which Jason Dirks is the center of the universe. There is no reality in which my comfort, my self-esteem, my getting my way is the most important thing. There is no reality in the universe in which your comfort, your getting your way is the most important thing. I slow down here because, man, we're guilty of that sometimes. We live that way. 
We live like, whoa, I was not put first, right? Don't tell me that's not true. I, I run into those people all week long. People that are miffed. People that are upset with their families. Why? Because they were not respected. They were not given their way. They were not exalted. They were not, in some way, things didn't go their way. Man, have you ever been guilty of leaving church that way? Oh, my goodness. Walking out of the doors and the thing that's on your heart is that you weren't exalted in the way that you thought you should be exalted. God's a merciful God. Like, how come he doesn't just kill us? I don't know, you know? He's really great, isn't he? Folks, we can stomp around demanding our way. We can throw fits when the world does not conform to our plans and our desires. We can treat God like a giant vending machine and we feel like we put in our quarters and we didn't get what we thought we pushed the button for and we can shake him and be mad at him. But here's the reality. That's not what the world is about. It just isn't. Number two, if you're not making Christ preeminent in all things, then you are aggressively and foolishly trying to push him out of his place. Man, think about this. If, if God has given Christ preeminence in all things, he, he just said he did, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the author of life. He, he, everything exists, exists by him and for him. And if we are living like, no, it's for me, what are we essentially doing? You got your shoulder up there against his leg on the throne, and you're trying to push trying to get him off every time we ignore his word and insert our own truth every time we demand our way instead of his way every time we put the plan of the kingdom on the back burner so that we can pursue our own plans every time we're more concerned with our own honor than with christ's honor we are attempting to push jesus christ out of the place of preeminence and my friends you'd have more luck trying to shove mount everest into the indian ocean than you would push jesus off the throne You'd have more luck taking your little sand pail and your shovel and trying to fill in the Grand Canyon than you would try to fill Jesus' place in the universe. It's silly, isn't it? I'm not preeminent. I'm not. This world's not about me. Now, those two sting pretty bad, don't they? Unless you weren't listening, then you're fine, okay? But if you were, they sting. Let me give you the third one that'll maybe bring a little comfort, okay? If you're not making Christ preeminent in all things, you're missing out on your place, okay? It's not that you don't have a place. You have a place, okay? Your place is just not preeminent. Your place is not the exaltation spot. Your place is not, this is all about you, okay? That's not your place. That's Jesus' place, okay? But you got a place, all right? And, and your place, your place is to bring glory to his name. And that's a cool place. Isaiah 43, 7 says, you were created for the specific purpose of bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Your place is to see his glory and to love it and to pursue it and to reflect it and to be transformed by it. A verse that's real special to us at Lincoln, if you've been here very long, in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we think about this a lot. It says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. So we're seeing his glory. We're putting him first. We're saying, Jesus, all about you. We're pursuing you. We want you. You, you put our lives together. And it says, we're being transformed into the same image, in, in the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. So as we see more and more of him, man, we're moving more and more closer to become like him. That's our place, folks. 
Our place is to be joined to his resurrection life. Our place is to be on mission with Christ our King. And here's the really cool thing. It's the verse we started with. Whenever we put Christ in his place, he's already there, but whenever we get on board with that, you know what happens? Things start coming together. Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. Read the context. It's all the stuff you're worried about, all the stuff you're striving after. All, all these things will be added to you. In other words, when we get our place right and Jesus' place right, man, things start clicking. But, but as long as we're walking around with this chip because we didn't get our way and our thing and I deserve this and that ought to be mine. And Man, you find yourself trying to push Jesus off the throne. Some people, they wore a whole groove there in the floor trying to push, you know. Their knees are wore out. There's no, there's no, no cartilage in them because they're just pushing, pushing, pushing. Remember what, what Jesus told Paul? Why are you kicking against the goats? <laughs> Paul, you're just, you're butting up against this. You're not going to move him. I, I can't tell you what a help it is. I, I, I'm the kind of guy, I need a couple handles, you know? I mean, some of you, you're, you're a lot smarter than me. Maybe you can keep a whole bunch of like concepts and truths and promises in your head at the same time. I'm kind of a, like I need a, just a couple handles. This, this is one of those. Like this helps me just thinking, Jesus, it's all about him. Like everything, 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 everything exists for him. And so I just got to get on board with that. That's what's happening. I mean, I can buck against it. It doesn't matter. I, I'm just playing pretend, you know. But I, I don't want to. I, I, I want to get on board. And I want to be about that. Man, I can't tell you how many, how many problems that solves. How many times when I'm all cranked up on the inside, it straightens me out. To know that in all things, Jesus is preeminent. Father, help us. God, we just need your help in getting on board with your plan of exalting Christ, his victory, his sovereignty, his glory, his sacrifice, his mission. Lord, I pray that we would be about that. That we would run hard after that. And God, help us, help us, Lord, to keep our eyes firmly focused on that. And Lord, we trust that you're going to bring everything else in line. I don't know how, but I trust you will. In Jesus' name.